0: Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions Dear Young Rocker All things must come to an end Such as college And toxic relationships that stop you from living the life you know you want to live Of course, having a dominating, jealous partner is not your fault at all But I do think something intrinsic about you did indeed trigger this response more than another person might have. I told you this in season one, but I'll say it again. You're wild, wild and fragile. It's that combination that makes you a passionate artist It also makes you want to either burst into flames or shatter like glass when someone gets you wrong or expects you to do something to please them. You've channeled that wildness into loving this person, but one person isn't enough for you, especially a person who wants you to be less than you are. You need more than a boyfriend. You need outlets. Music, yes. But even more than that, writing and drawing and deep but all over the place conversations and random adventures with other wild friends in the middle of the night, without all of that, you wither. You're a person who's always very aware of how fragile life is and how much beauty and magic is out there that will go to waste if you don't experience it in the time you have. But he would never be able to handle you doing all of those things that make you feel like you. He would say, where did you go and why wasn't it with me? And why didn't you tell me first? Guess what? That's not the kind of person you need to be with. The one I'm with now doesn't even ask who I went with if I say I went to the movies. Just what did you see and was it cool? And I'm fine with him going on tour and not texting me for a whole day or two. It's called trust, and not expecting the other person to be your everything and whole entire world. Because that expectation puts a lot of pressure on the other person in a relationship. And it's hard for a relationship to live up to it. My current partner might be a little baffled by my wildness sometimes, but he has it too. I see it in him when he's on the stage. So he gets it, and me being me doesn't threaten him. He needs music as much as I do. And soon, you'll stop pretending you don't. Although here I sit writing this during the pandemic without having performed in months, saying, oh, I don't miss my knees and my back hurting from lugging my bass amp up and down stairs or standing on a concrete floor all night. But I need to admit to myself that somehow, Not having that at all anymore hurts even worse. I need to let my wildness out again soon before it sneaks up and bites me like a snake who hasn't been fed in too long. And so do you. When we get back to Matt's house, I decide I'm going back to my place. I have this summer housing that's actually a pretty nice apartment, and I even have a single room. This girl who moved in first tried to put all her stuff in there, even though I had specifically paid a bunch extra for a single. She's pretty weird. I open the door and see that this dude she knows is still asleep on the couch, so I just go and lock myself in my room. I don't think he goes to college or has a job, and he's not even dating my roommate. He's definitely trying to live here for free. I've seen him coming out of our shower. I'm not cool with it because we're paying to be here and to have a living room, and he's not. My friend, Liz Lemon, lives here too, but she isn't in right now. It's just me and this guy, and I don't like how I feel in this situation. At least I can lock my door, and he's like a pretty small guy. He even seems kind of scared of me sometimes, I think. As I'm sitting in my room, I hear someone come in, and I text Liz to see if it's her. It is. I say, hey, let's go downtown to get some coffee or something. I don't want to be alone here with this guy. So I get ready, and then run straight from my room outside and meet her making sure my bedroom door is locked on the way out. We walk to Brood Awakening and sit outside. I never make fun of her for having a name that's both silly and the same as a famous TV character, because I'm sure she gets enough crap for it. But when we talk, I'm always thinking, this is my friend Liz Lemon. Unlike me, she wears dresses and always has on makeup, but she's actually good at it. She never looks too made up. When I put on eyeliner or eyebrow stuff, I end up looking like a toddler beauty pageant queen. And she's naturally really pretty anyway. She has these ridiculously huge blue eyes. And I realize I'm probably staring at them too much as I come back to reality and tune into what she's saying about her crappy boyfriend, who's obviously cheating on her. I tell her for the millionth time that she can do better than him and that he's clearly not worth it but I don't know if she'll listen. Every time I think she's gonna finally dump him for real, they're back together again. It hurts sometimes to be her friend. I just get so angry at this stupid guy on her behalf and I wish I could just give her some self-confidence somehow. But she's one of the only girls I've ever connected with. Probably because she's kind of awkward like me and she's one of the only other philosophy majors I've ever met. I tell her about the weird jealousy stuff that's been happening with Matt. I knew it would be hard to explain the toast-buttering incident. I doubt a guy friend would understand why it freaked me out. But she gets it immediately. You felt kind of small, she says. Yeah, I say. I roll down the window and stick my arm out as I drive home. It's amazing how fresh city highway air can feel after being in an office all day. I'm only doing my internship at the PBS Nova offices two days a week, but each time it feels like I'll claw my eyes out before the day is over. Even though I love the work itself, it's just the being in an office I cannot stand. I get up out of my chair every 15 minutes to try to keep myself from feeling like I'm dying. Science writer is my current dream job and this is the best experience I could possibly ask for, but I don't know how I could ever work in an office full time. A whole day without trees is like torture. I'm feeling free as I unbutton the top of my dress shirt and crank the college radio station. A song I've never heard before comes on with a really strange, vintage-sounding xylophone melody. Then a man's voice comes in. Now and then I think of when we were together, like when you said you felt so happy you could die, told myself that you were right for me, but felt so lonely in your company, but that was love and it's an ache I still remember. I'm already tearing up less than a minute into the song. Then. The pre-chorus hits, but you didn't have to cut me off, make out like it never happened and that we were nothing, and I'm bawling. I start yelling at the windshield, why, why, why? Why the hell did he have to be such an asshole, and why did he let me go so easily after what we had, after what he had said to me about the ring? I go back over the breakup in my mind again. I had only been at his house for 15 minutes. I told him I'd gone to a meeting of this meditation club I found out about from a guy in my writing class. I've been missing the good parts of meditation, but was scared to find another class since my scary experience. So I figured the free little meditation club at school would be a safe place to start. Still, I'm afraid to go to anything involving yoga or meditation alone, So I went with this classmate, this guy, but all Matt heard from my story was that I had been hanging out with another guy. He stared straight ahead and said he didn't trust him or me. I said I was just meditating for Christ's sakes with a group of people, not like alone in my bed. I got so mad, I ran up the stairs to the landing and out the front door, slamming it on the way out. I expected him to chase after me. I expected to hear his voice right behind me as I got in my car, but I didn't. The next day, I expected him to call me, text me, write me an apology email, anything. But he didn't. Two days later, I went out for a long hike in the place where we met walking up hills as fast and hard as I could to get the negative energy out of my body. In the middle of a field, I got a text from him. My stomach felt tight as I opened it. It was one sentence. I will always love you. I exhaled and thought, well, that's nice. Me too, but... A moment later, I was full of questions. Does that mean we're still together? Is this an apology? One fight can't just be a whole breakup after nine months, right? Where's the invitation to have a makeup conversation and talk about things and fix them? I didn't say we're over or anything like that when I left. I didn't say anything. Is he expecting me to apologize and extend the olive branch? I didn't do anything. When my head stopped spinning, I responded and asked to get together to talk, even though I wanted him to be the one to offer to talk. He didn't answer. Why the hell did he say he's gonna love me forever? What the hell? I started driving randomly on back roads loosely aiming for New Hampshire, hoping I'd have a response within a couple hours. The not knowing felt like torture. I wondered, if we're breaking up, why isn't anyone actually saying it? I started crying and cried harder when I thought about our Valentine's Day cards. I had sat down for two hours at my desk with a big blue piece of construction paper, gluing on little cutouts of Canadian geese, and a brown dog, and a big green hill, and then put two little people on it and the sun shining in the sky. A picture of the day we met on 11-11. I wrote in the card how I started falling for him when we sat next to each other in class, and when i heard all the passionate things he said about the environment when i handed him my card he handed me his and i couldn't believe it it was blue construction paper too with cutout birds and a dog and two little people on a hill inside it said all the things he loved about me we had made each other the same exact card the same size like That's fate. True romance, 11-11. How can you just trash that? Walk away from that so easily. I think of a million little times he made me laugh and all the romantic weekend getaways to the mountains and the beach, watching him play drums and dancing for him, doing karaoke together in his soulful bass voice. The radio snaps me back to the present as the chorus of the song comes in for the second time, and I'm screaming every word through tears as I'm stopped in traffic. Now you're just somebody that I used to know. I remember how my mom had been so skeptical of me dating someone eight years older than me, and I reminded her that she was 30 and my dad was 22 when they started dating, but she said it was different. I had to work so hard to convince her he was a good choice. Of course, when she saw him in person, all six foot three of him, and saw him dance and sing in that voice and play the drums and smelled his cologne, she was as whipped as I was and couldn't even give it up when we broke up, no matter what I told her. She just kept saying it was an argument and we'd work it out that she knew I loved him and that I finally found a tall one. On Halloween, she even drove up to Lowell and then drove us another two entire hours all the way to York, Maine, to see his band play a costume party show at some bar. She said, if we were in costumes, they won't recognize us. And she just wanted to go to a Halloween party. I didn't know why she wanted to go to that Halloween party so badly. I sure didn't. Halfway through, putting on my white ghostly face paint, I was so depressed I felt like I could barely move my body. I told her it was too painful for me to see him, that that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to dance, especially in front of him. But somehow she just kept convincing me. I guess she was the one who wanted to dance. He wanted everyone to see her in her punk vampire outfit, which still didn't hide her face at all. Wanted me to get back together with him or something, I guess. I hated every second of it. Now I just hate him. I start saying, idiot, 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 as I pump the gas pedal. I'm not sure who's the bigger idiot, him or me. After Don and Aaron, I thought I'd never let anyone be that close to me again. Because when you really open yourself up, you give them control over you. And I just did it again. Never, 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 I start saying to all the cars around me. For real this time. I'm never letting anyone in that close again. I will never succumb to a stupid, useless, monogamous romance. It's just a fantasy. It isn't real, it never works. And when the fantasy falls apart, look where it gets you. I breathe in sharply, and as I sigh and exhale, I think, well, at least I'm allowed to be in a band now. I wonder when that will happen. I sit down with my pearl-colored five-string bass at the kitchen table and run my hands up and down the neck and touch all the gold hardware. I feel like I'm wasting this beauty. I'm not sure what I wanna play though. Do I wanna do another cover video? Not really. I can't think of any songs I'm burning to learn right now. And I know from experience that if I'm not truly dying to learn a song, I will not put in the effort. Do I wanna write my own bassline? Kind of. But what's the point? I don't have a band to play it with, and I don't know how to write an entire song by myself anyway. And I don't really have any ideas. I play a couple scales and arpeggios. A year of music school. I feel like I should do something with that, right? I could teach kids lessons, maybe? I look around my tiny apartment for clues as to what I should do. My friend Melanie, who's my roommate now, is out on a date. My super senior year hasn't been very super. I guess my internship's been a good resume experience at least, and a good distraction from my crappy breakup. And I've been having fun with the boy that Liz set me up with. He's really goofy and quiet and pretty feminine. He has longish white blonde hair and pretty ice blue eyes, and likes to wear multiple colorful scarfs and tight pastel colored pants, and pronounces words in this whimsical, nasally way. The exact opposite of the alpha male I was with before. I'm the dominant one now, and I'm okay with that. Sometimes I feel like I have a new girlfriend and a new guy friend at the same time. So I guess I'm feeling okay socially, but there's still one big piece missing in my life and I can't act like I don't know what it is any longer. I open my laptop and go to the Craigslist music want ads again. Someone's looking for a bassist or cellist and right and Lowell. Hey, I'm both. He says he likes Elliott Smith and the Pixies. Nice, usually these people like really crappy music. I click on a couple of the sample demos he has on SoundCloud. It's a little folky, kinda too folky for my preferred style, but hey, it would be cool to play cello in a band. I start sweating a little as I reread the ad over and over. This is the only one that has really felt like it could be meant to be. I write an email with all of my musical experience. I add why I haven't played in so long on the end, but it starts becoming the story of my entire college experience, so I delete it all and start again. I cut it down to this. Hi, I've played cello and bass for over 10 years, and I dig your sound. I love the Pixies too. Love to talk more. Send. Oh my god the graduation traffic to UMass Lowell is so bad that the off-ramp is backed up way down the highway. I've already come to a complete stop nearly two full miles before the actual exit. I left over an hour ago, but clearly everyone coming to sit in the audience left before that, and all 10,000 of us are trying to get off of the same exit. I'm supposed to be at the Songus Arena in 10 minutes. We're supposed to be. Me and Mike, that is. My special friend. That's what my mom refers to him as. I haven't said boyfriend yet because, I don't know, that, it just doesn't feel like that, you know? He's making funny little frustrated noises in the passenger seat. I start putting my smelly polyester robe and big red blue collar over my dress to save time, and I begin sweating immediately. I was supposed to get there early to pick up my magna cum laude honors rope cord things. Guess I'll just have a plain boring plebeian robe, oh well. By the time we've inched into the parking garage, and then driven all the way up to the roof to find the very last parking spot, We're over an hour late. As we get to the door, a woman is starting to close it. She sees us and yells, Run! I feel like I'm in an action movie. Mike lets out a nervous giggle scream and we start sprinting down the long back hallway. We get to the doors to the floor of the arena and see that every single graduate is seated and the chancellor is already wrapping up his opening speech. The room is silent. There are two chairs at the very back, nowhere near the philosophy major section where we're supposed to sit. We walk across the floor, and the chancellor stops speaking for a second, and I feel every one of the 10,000 people in the room glaring. For some reason, though, instead of feeling like I want to dive under a rock, my anxiety turns into a very punk feeling. Fuck your pomp and circumstance, I think. Go ahead and look at me. I start walking slower with a real strut, and I look around at everyone in the crowd and smile like a doofus, as if I have no idea I was late. Nah, 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 nah. I find a folding chair and sit down. I zone out through the speeches and just think about how I was supposed to be doing this an entire year ago so I don't know anyone around me. And I have to pee so bad. When they call my name and I walk across the stage, I feel very little besides my bladder. I look at the other graduates in the audience and feel even less. I don't know these people. I look down at my robe and realize I did get in too late to get those honors cords. My parents are probably annoyed I won't have them in my pictures, but who cares? I didn't work for good grades. Just like high school, I'm not reflecting on anything special here. I see no memories of best friends in crazy times, or even hard work. This is just a thing I had to do today on my day off from the coffee shop. But then I look up at my parents, because I know they want a picture. I feel a little something when I see them looking proud. This is 100% for you guys, I think. And because of you. Without you, I might still be in a cult. I'm carrying my bass in its case in my right hand, and my cello in its gig bag in my left hand. My knees are killing me from all the weight. I can barely bend them, and I have to use my pinky finger on the cello hand to open the door to the club. I go down the staircase, huffing and puffing, after carrying my two instruments a block from the car, and trying in vain to keep my purse from falling off of my shoulder. As I get to the bottom of the stairs and start heading for the stage straight ahead, only a few feet in front of me, a voice to my left says, It's $8 and doors aren't open yet. Wow, dude, I think to myself, you think I came to a club to see a show while just casually carrying two giant instruments, like for fun? Uh, I'm in one of the bands, I say. I am desperate to put my stuff down on the stage, but the guy just looks at me. You sure you're in the band? Girlfriends aren't allowed in for free, he says. The band leader, Phil, had just gone in ahead of me, and I guess this door guy assumes I'm the girlfriend, even though Phil's wife is here somewhere. Yeah, I'm the bassist and cellist. I look down at my instruments. After another two full seconds of just looking at me, he goes, okay, but I gotta check your ID. I drop my instruments and start rifling through my bag looking for it. This room smells really, really bad. I notice the sound guy on the stage. He somehow looks even grumpier and grosser than the door guy. And he's duct taping a microphone to a stand. Good thing we drove seven hours in traffic to Brooklyn for this show. Four hours later, after some people have arrived and most of them have left, it's finally time for us to go on. It's almost 2am, and I can't blame people for leaving this rat-infested, sticky-floored bar. I have to pee so bad I think it might actually just happen on the stage. I've tried to get into the bathroom a dozen times over the last hour, but every time I banged on the door, I just heard people laughing and snorting and whatever else you do in a gross New York City bathroom. I step up on the stage and put on my bass. It's a small stage, so I'm kind of hiding behind Phil, the enormous 30-year-old ex-Air Force officer, ex-semi-professional hockey player, current MIT MBA student who leads our band. Bill starts the first song solo with acoustic guitar. Every time he opens his mouth to sing the first song of the set, I wonder if the people in the audience are as taken aback as I was when I listened to those first demos. When I heard that nasally high-pitched Elliott Smith-esque voice, I fully expected a much less muscular human to possess it. After a couple phrases, Phil trails off, and I look at the drummer, a really nice guy named Chris. He's a dad who's a full 20 years older than me. We lock eyes for a second and then come in together. A little further into the song, I let a bass note ring out and then quickly put my first instrument in the stand, throw my butt into the folding chair behind me, and swing up my cello off the ground and into position. I look at Chris again for a second, and then come in immediately on the eerie little cello melody I made up for this transition. Sometimes it feels nearly pointless to have to switch instruments so fast to play four notes, but it makes the end of the song have this cool feeling to it. Right on my first note, I notice it doesn't sound like it's coming through the PA, and I can barely hear myself, but that just might be from where I'm sitting. I doubt the monitors work. I dig into the strings hard, in case it's not being amplified but I'm not totally sure I'm in tune because I can't hear. As I finish the last note, I hear the cello signal suddenly pop on very loudly and realize I was right. No one in the crowd could probably hear it over the drums, guitar, and singing, but I'm used to it. Pretty much every time we play, I always warn the sound person that I'm going to do this quick change so they need to be ready to unmute the cello, and they hardly ever actually do it. They turn it off because it always starts feeding back when I put it on the ground. The sound guy doesn't get it on the next song either. Oh well. I can't really complain. I'm in a band. Dear Young Rocker Okay, maybe it's getting weird to say Young Rocker at this point, but Then again, I've started to see people in their early 20s as very young, kids even. So sorry, kid, but you still aren't fully grown. Nor am I, I am sure. You still could use some guidance, and who couldn't? Mostly though, here, I just want to congratulate you on taking back the reins of your life and finding a band. I know how many emails you almost sent to other bands, feeling worried that you wouldn't be able to keep up with those that talked about how intense their riffs are. I am sure you would have been just fine. But for now, I think you've found the right people to play with, even if the music is a little slow for your personal preference. That gives you room to grow and daydream about what you do want to play. Here's a hint. When you play in someone else's band, it will never be exactly what you want. You've got to start your own band for that. But we'll get there when we get there, and for now, you are where you should be. People older than you are always encouraging to younger musicians, and that's the exact support you need. Two sort of older brothers to be impressed by you and cheer on your musical ability as you get your confidence back behind the strings. Them both being married helps too. You get to be part of a sort of family group. It's very wholesome and way better for you than a cool shredder band full of jerky young dudes who would probably trigger your musical insecurity and potentially even make a pass at you and screw it all up again and congrats on your first New York City show. I promise they won't all be that bad, but well, sadly it does take a couple years to get the better ones. And you will, but I won't spoil the future for you. I don't have much else to say besides I am so sorry that you had to be dragged to that Halloween show. That was a pretty terrible moment. Even when we aren't little kids anymore, sometimes our parents just make decisions for us that aren't right. You knew with every fiber of your being, you didn't want to go to that, and you shouldn't have had to, but knowing how you cried and pleaded not to go, I still honestly don't know what I'd tell you to do now. Sometimes you just have to be a bitch, even to your mom. I'll leave you with a quote I just came across in a book called The Courage to be Disliked by Ichiro Kishimi and Fumitake Koga. I think this kind of sums up your struggle. Conducting oneself in such a way as to not be disliked by anyone is an extremely unfree way of living and is also impossible. You will get closer to realizing this inch by inch. You will stand up to bosses and coworkers who disrespect you, and they will dislike you for it. But you will understand that doing what you know is right for yourself is easier to live with than pushing it down to please other people. Because if you kill your wildness, you aren't you. Take care, kid. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, it's time to go to camp. Rock camp, that is. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. This show was written and created by me, Chelsea Arson. I also wrote the theme song, I record and edit the episodes, and I create many of the musical pieces and sound effects you hear in the show. The other half of our two-person production team is Colin Fleming, who provides more sound design and music and also mixes the episodes. I would also love if you would join me on Instagram at dearyoungrocker Young Rocker and follow Double Elvis too. I also have Facebook and Twitter. And I just really love hearing stories and seeing pictures of your own awkward young rocker beginnings. So please dig up an old picture and tag me, and I will definitely reshare it. And please, please share this story with anyone, anyone who has a young rocker in their life who you think could be touched by this, because that's the whole point. And write a review on a podcast if you like the show, because that goes far toward the goal of helping kids feel less alone, too. Thank you. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.